Hood Podcast, everybody. I am your host, Marcus. We're without Will today, but I'm going to hold it down. I have a special guest here with me today, the mayor of Portsmouth. <laughs> the guy who thinks Portsmouth is, he's going to rebuild Portsmouth, Mr. Joe Harmon. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm good. So we're here today because Joe, I wanted to put Joe on the podcast. It's something different than what we normally do. I personally wanted to put Joe in the pocket. Joe's a really good friend of mine. We met, I've known Joe for a long time, working at McDonald's, but I never talked to Joe. Joe always showed respect until one day Joe got married and he was in a mutual friend's wedding and we connected that way. But I, I wanted to meet with Joe because Joe does a lot of great stuff for the community. And I would call him probably the most honorable, knowing person of music. He knows all when it comes to music. I don't know how he knows all, there's always something to learn. I so, don't know it all. So let the people know where you're from. Give them a little bit of your origin story, all that good stuff. Okay. Well, I am from Chesapeake. Um, I was born in Suffolk, the old OBC hospital. Um, parents were married at the time. Uh, since then, are now divorced. Um, I grew up at my grandmother's home in Chesapeake early years, and then we were able to get our own home right around elementary school age, give or take. Um, I grew up in the Hickory area of Chesapeake. Um, where I went to Southeast Elementary, Hickory Middle, Hickory High School. Um, so that kind of molded um, kind of what I am now. Um, and I spent many of my weekends in Portsmouth with my father. So what did you see? Okay, I'm assuming the Portsmouth that was, well, never mind, we'll get into that later. Has music always been your passion? Always. You've always, always. had a thing for music. Was it, where's the origin story for music? So... My early memories are always with me singing something. Um, my mom said, yeah, I actually spoke later. I did not speak early on in life. Um, I was very quiet when they thought something might have been wrong with me, but then I just started talking one day. Um, but I was very observant, but I would match pitch. And anything was on the radio, I would start humming it. But you didn't say a word. I wouldn't say a word, I was just humming it. Which they could get reactions out of you. Mm -hmm. So then most of the rides home, Right on with people, I would literally be singing the lyrics to these songs at age three or four and was in perfect pitch. So my mom knew at like age three that, okay, he has a gift. My mom sings. So, um, so she kind of was like, okay, we, we may have something. And then kindergarten in my first music class, and it was like a done deal. Miss Edwards was my first teacher, and um, I won an award every year. That could be taken as you was the teacher's <laughs> I mean... Was it because music was your passion? She saw. She saw that I love to dance. I love to sing. Um, nothing. Nothing she gave me I couldn't do. Whether it was um, a classical song back then, a little round song, holding hands. I always wanted to be in the spotlight. He still wants to dance. So <clears throat> you didn't talk for. I started talking. You could talk. Your mama. I could talk, and you like just were very quiet. I just was very quiet. And you just watched people. I watched people, similar to how my daughter is now. Very I watched quiet. people like a hawk, or she was like, "Hey, put this in the trash." At one years old, I know how to put it in the trash. Hey, do do this. I could do that. You can, but so you learn by mimicking mm -hmm. what you saw people do. Yep. that's how you kind of learn. That was your way of learning. Yeah. So I'm assuming in music that that's how you're able to memorize all the lyrics immediately. Mm -hmm. And being observant. So my mom's favorite artist of all time is Luther Vandross. So most of my car rides home was listening to Luther. That's and my dad loved Luther. 
And she always sang his songs, and I would sing and want to emulate her and emulate what I heard from the radio. So a lot of, a lot of that came and still works for me now. What were some of your <clears throat> favorite artists growing up? I mean, of course, Luther, all time. Yeah. But what were some of your personal favorite artists? As you started to learn, and what were the people that hit your ear, and you're like, oh, they can sing? Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Janet Jackson, Teddy Pendergrass. Uh, Whitney before the crack. Watch your mouth. We're not. <laughs> this ain't that kind of interview. <laughs> watch your mouth. <laughs> you tried it. <laughs> the quickest way to irritate Joe is to speak ill will of anyone. Anything. Absolutely. Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson, Mariah Carey. But you were a Tony Braxton fan. Love Tony Braxton. But she came a little bit after, so I learned more about her in elementary school. But early years, Whitney, Mariah, and my aunt, I remember with her a lot. She's like, she's my aunt, but she's like my second mom. Mm -hmm. So um, she loved Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, and all we had was her tapes and stuff. So you know, a lot of that sound, I'm like, man, they really can sing. And even then, I could match those pitches that Mariah Carey was singing at that age. Yeah, because you hadn't got your, I had, your right. song that yet. Right, right. So was it because you heard them or was it always their pitches just for your ear were like, oh, that's different, this person? I think it was more of I heard it and I could do it. So those are iconic voices. They were iconic. I'm like, hmm, I can do this. I can sing that pitch. I can do this. And yes, I was mimicking, but everyone knows in music education, the first model is um, imitation okay. and modeling and uh, call and response. You know, so me, so me, and you sing it back to the child, and the child gets it that way. Before the child can read, before the child can do anything else, that's the first fundamentals. So with me listening to these artists in the car and um, eventually getting my own CD, my own cassette player at the time, a Walkman, you know, and having tapes of my own, I was able to kind of um, form my own musical opinion, my own musical way of appreciation or awareness to what I was hearing. So, it's no secret, I thank you for everybody who follows Joe, who knows Joe, knows he is, he is a proud member of the Spartan community, Norfolk State University, behold the green and gold. I also went there too, but I transferred, because at the time they didn't, they didn't have a video program for real yet. Okay, you're right. So you're I right. left to finish somewhere else, but did you pick Norfolk State because you knew, that, I mean, they're widely known for their music. They're widely known for their musical program. It's one of the best music programs probably for HBCUs, maybe in the, in the world. So why did you, what was it about Norfolk State? Because I'm pretty sure with you being the meticulous person you are, you knew ahead of time what you were, where you were going. I'm pretty sure your path was probably set. Actually, I did not. That's a shocker for somebody who's so focused at knowing, okay, I'm 10 steps ahead. When did you realize you wanted to go to Norfolk State? Or what was your first choice? So Norfolk State was not my first or second or third choice, actually. Um, going to a school like Hickory High School, literally um, the, the polar opposite of this, the high school that I'm at now, which I teach at Norcom. Um, at the time, Hickory was 95% white um, and like 2 or 3% African-American, other 2% was other. Um, HBCUs were not a focus at Hickory. Many of us did not even go to HBCUs from Hickory. HBCUs did not come to recruit at schools like mine. Um, so going back in time, this is like around 03, 04, I'm looking at colleges. I applied to Christopher Newport, accepted. I you know, 
I looked at um, hold on, wait, Christopher Newport, ODU, James Madison was my top choice, and Longwood. Those were the, my top four. Artist school. Yeah. <laughs> you knew that um, when you was going. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. Um, Radford was not. Now everyone knows Hickory back then. Radford was the place to go. Anyways, um, why? Party school. And you're far well enough mm -hmm. away. But far enough away, but still quick enough to get back home. Um, so in 03, Norfolk State at the time was going through a transition. They had a brand new um, uh, president. I remember. And they were doing an initiative to bring in more people, and not just African Americans, but all people. They were really trying to make the campus more diverse, and they needed more population because um, NSU had, had experienced a decline in enrollment. Um, at its peak in the 90s, we were, I think, the fifth largest HBCU with around 9,000 students. Um, since then, it has decreased. So around 03, 04, there was this big initiative to really get back into the community and all communities to bring in people. Um, Dr. Carl Haywood, the director of call activities at Norfolk State, um, did this tour, and he only went to suburban high schools. He started in this area. So he went to your Hickory, your Great Bridge, your um, Kellum, Creek was probably the majority black by that time. Mm, D Creek is about half and half. Half and half. Calum. Calum. Well, back then it was. Cox. Now it's a little bit, right, Cox High School, um, Maury even, you know, he went to more of the suburban high schools to, I guess, show those students, hey, we're here too. And we're yeah, in your backyard. Me going to Norview, we knew about Norfolk State out the gate. Because right. half of us, to be honest, didn't have GPAs to go nowhere else. Right. So you went to the place that most likely at that time, like you said, when the Roma dropped, they were they weren't taking anything, but it was a little bit easier to get in there compared Correct. to what it is right now. Correct. So it allowed students who may not have had the threes or the two sevens, who may have been teetering between the two two and two threes, to get in and then grow from there. Mm -hmm. So he came to he came to he came to Hickory High School. Mm -hmm. So um, to backtrack. Um, this was 0304, my senior year. I was class president of the choir. Um, I was in you everything. Graduated in 04. Mm -hmm. I don't think I knew that. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. O I thought we were the same class. What class were you? 05. Oh, yeah, I'm 04. Huh. Yeah, I'm old. Anyways, um, you 04? Yeah, we're 04. Um, he went to Lansdowne, the guy behind the camera. Yeah, Lansdowne. Yeah. Anyways, um, my quarterback at the time, uh, Mr. Craig Robertson, came to me and said, hey, Norfolk State is coming to visit us on their tour next week. I really want you to give them a listen. Now, mind you, I went to Hickory. I'm like, Norfolk State? Okay. He said, no, I don't want you to brush it off. I really want you to listen to them. And this was before YouTube where you could easily go right to online sure. and, and click on what you wanted to hear and find resources. He was like, no, I want you to research what they've been doing. Find some old recordings, but they're really good. So you, hadn't heard, you, you didn't know the history of Norfolk State yet? Did not. And especially you were, early. you were out. You All were I knew stuff. about NSU was the Legion and sure. marching band. Which wasn't what Which was not life. my focus. So I'm thinking, what do they have to offer to me? They come to Norfolk State. I mean, they come to Hickory. Um, he invited our whole chorus class, band classes, about 500 of us. Because we had large programs at Hickory. Mm -hmm. We had like 200 plus in choir. 300 plus in band and 200 plus in orchestra. Um, I was simply wowed. Could not believe, and I'll be honest, could not believe that this caliber of music and classical music 
Terrible was coming people. from African Americans because my perception of choral and classical music was always of European composers, um, never really thinking that, hey, African Americans had their, their role too in um, choral music and orchestral music and band music. Why it do you was think very that? one-sided. Well, look at where I was raised. You and, mean what you were exposed to. And look what I was exposed to. Mm -hmm. Even now, being a teacher, looking at the history books, there's so much European music history. You learn about Bach and Beethoven and, and Chopin and Schubert, but you do not learn as much about R. Nathaniel Death or Moses Houghton or, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, so I wasn't exposed to that. Mm -hmm. And to see literally 80 people on a stage singing classical music and singing it, not just singing it, but singing it well, I was wowed. It's out of Haywood at the time. Well, I'm losing 12 tenors next year. I'm looking for eight tenors to put on full scholarship. I'm looking for eight basses and, and seven sopranos. He's listening off. I had an audition right after and was offered a full ride. Wow. On the spot. Um, even then, I still was not like, whoa, yay, NSU. I went home, told my mom. I said, Mommy, I can believe this. I got offered a full ride to NSU. Said, you, were at, you were at NSU on a full, full music scholarship? Hmm? You were on a full music scholarship when I met, when you was at NSU? Yep. I should have took music. Okay. Um, <laughs> I went home, told my mom, she's like, well, you know where you're going. Uh, yeah, because... Because at the time, my other picks were only offering me partial scholarships. I had still come with a lot. And even with my mom being um, a single parent, um, it was still, I would have to come in my pocket with a lot of money. So NSU became a forerunner simply because of the financial aspect. And I would not take it anything away from it to this day. I know for a fact that God does things for a reason. And Norfolk State University prepared me. That urban institution in Norfolk prepared me to where I am now at an urban high school in Portsmouth. There would be no way in the world that James Madison, Christopher Newport, ODU could have taught me those fundamental skills to deal with this urban climate there's no way in the world they could have done that. A way to connect with them. To connect as well and engage as my them. community and all communities. It would be no way. Because one of the benefits is it's you want to be able to show them that we 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 can be classical music. You Absolutely. there's nothing wrong with you being different. Cause we're taught or what we're exposed to is R and B. And maybe a little pop, mm -hmm. hip hop, but you don't hear many people that look like us or urban who came from maybe the areas that these children are coming from mm -hmm. that say, hey, you can, you know, be a classical arranger. You can be, you can do whatever you want. You know, you can do opera. Mm -hmm. And like you say, would you have gotten that JMU? And NSU completely changed my perspective on what I could bring to my students if I was to teach. Okay. So what made you first, let's, let's backtrack. Did you know you always wanted to study music? No. I, I thought so. So what was your passion? What was your other passion? Because I tell you as a guy, when I met you, you've always been business-oriented, entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. um, owning. I could see you. I always thought you were a guy who, if you had the money, you would have your hands in a lot of different mm -hmm. businesses. You might be the guy who got your, came in like a shack, get your company where it needs to be. And then I'll, I'll move on. I'll Absolutely. sell. I'll sell. I'll sell my stake. And I'm moving on. That's what a lot of known guys were have done. More billionaires says, "Hey, I'll start this business. Once it gets running, I'm gonna sell it." Mm -hmm. I always thought you as the guy who, 
if you could do it, you were going to be an investor of things. So anyone that knows me knows I love economic development. I love knowing about revitalization, mm -hmm. redevelopment, um, how things work in a city, city government. Those things are like, it's a passion. It's almost neck and neck with music. Like, it's the weirdest thing. Like, my pastime at home is literally looking at Chicago Tribune and the latest uh, economic development um, articles and figuring out what's going on. I love that every Sunday I look at Virginia Pilot and look through um, who sold what this week to what company, what new, what's coming soon here, how to get here, where's the investment coming from. Those are my push points. Well, where did that um, come from? So it came from me spending my weekends in Portsmouth. Seeing the changes. So I would spend, normally Saturday morning my dad would come pick me up and I would leave um, either Sunday morning or Saturday night, give or take. But I always spent at least three out of the four weekends I would spend um, at his house or even my grandma's house in Suffolk. Um, but more importantly, with coming to Portsmouth, at the time my dad was part owner of a car wash. The car wash is still standing. Um, but I don't know who owns it now. At the time, he owned it with his best friend, co-owned uh, co it, um, right by the railroad track at Victory Boulevard and Airline. Mm -hmm. All day long, we would go to the car wash, go pick up towels, go drop them off, go run errands, come back to the car wash. I know that car wash is, too. Yeah, right there by the old Ford dealership. Mm -hmm. And um, that was our day. That was my day. Even then, an uh, hour or two, hey, little Joe, take these towels and go right down that car. And I was a cute little boy on, at the car wash. I always would get tips from, you know, everybody. Oh, he's so cute. And get tips and whatnot. But with all the running, we ran all day long. And I would look around the area. At the time, Tower Mall was behind the car wash. And I'm like, why is this mall here? And why does it look like Greenbrier or Lynn Haven? What I'm used to looking at. Um, we would go a little further. Into what mall? Tower Mall. The one on Victor. Mm -hmm. That's now like, Victor Crossing. It used to be a mall. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. Tower Mall was built in 1974, um, built right after. It was Portsmouth's response to Military Circle. Okay. Military okay. opened around 73, 72 really, because the anchors opened in 72 of military. But the whole mall opened in 73. Tower Mall opened in 74 as the response to Norfolk's Military Circle. Because back then, those two cities were dominant in economic development. For sure. Whatever Norfolk did, Portsmouth followed or vice versa. Um, so they were known for their shopping districts, and they were the epicenters of the arts for doing business. You didn't go to Suffolk for business back then. You didn't go to Chesapeake for business or Virginia Beach. You came to Norfolk Portsmouth to get your business done. Um, so looking yeah, at... My parents did a lot of all did a lot of your business here. It was all in Norfolk and Portsmouth, yeah. for sure. Um, so looking at these areas, and we would go further into Midtown, I'm like, why does this look like this? And I was referring to Mid-City Shopping Center, which is now Walmart. Back then, it was a giant shopping center that was vacant. By this point, we're looking at the mid-90s. It was vacant. All they had was a Farmer Jack and the uh, rallies, which was relocated across the street. And I'm like, why does this area look like this? And you could tell from the area that it used to be a thing of splendor. It used to be an uh, area of pride. And I'm like, why does it look like this compared to Greenbrier and, and looking at um, Lynn Haven Mall and even Military Circle? Like, what happened? And my dad would always say, well, the money left, people left, and crime came. And he would give me these fragments because he would think I really wouldn't understand if he went more in depth. And I'm like, hmm, I'm intrigued. Like, literally, I would love to go and just ride around 
and look at these sites. Was it because you knew that it was an area that black people, that Portsmouth was a predominantly your people area? I looked at these areas and you could tell that they were areas of blight, but you could also see that there used to be areas of pride. And you look around the area, and it's predominantly African-Americans that live here now, that actually still come and do business here, but it's not much to do here because everything left. And there's some deeper conversations that needed to happen to why these areas are like they're where they are. And that kind of sparked this interest in me for economic development. Fifth grade project, we had to find um, someone that we would admire or want to emulate or even go into a career with. So everybody's picking, oh, I want to be a doctor and you want to interview a doctor and do all this. I wanted to interview Ronald Massey, which at the time was Portsmouth City Manager. And I wanted to know what the plan was for Portsmouth. Um, back then it was um, Vision, two th uh, Vision 05 plan for Portsmouth, where they had a plan from 95 to 05, what they're going to do within those 10 years. I want to interview him and all this. I wrote him a letter. He wrote me back. I met him at Greenbrier Mall with my mom. I'm, so I'm sure that was like, uh, whoa, this young man yeah, wants yeah. to be me. Yeah. And I wrote him a letter, like this is before, and not before email, but email was not yeah. as popular. No. I mean, a letter, letter. Wrote him a letter on typewriter. He wrote me back, met up in the area, and I went on a literally with him in his company vehicle, City of Portsmouth vehicle, around all the economic development, all the sites in Portsmouth, what was coming. Spent a day with him. Spent a whole day. Just asking him whatever. Asking him, picking his brain. About all these different areas. Mm -hmm. Because you felt like you wanted to be a part of making an area prominent than what it was. And I was 10 years old. I would imagine that's how people go into politics. Yeah. They see opportunities to make, where they can make an impact to make something better. Mm -hmm. So. And even my dad, he lived in, um, he lived in the, the area of Brighton, which is um, off of Elm Avenue, mm -hmm. and he had a nice home. Um, we, I would play in the yard, but I noticed he would always be out there. He would never go in the house. You know, you know, some areas you can just leave. You know, back then, people would leave the kids out, you know, outside, and you come back in whenever. Yeah. You know, he would always, hey, you can go out there and play, but he'd be on sitting on the back porch, watching the whole time, you know, observing. And um, there was a few times we said, hey, little Joe, we got to go back in the house. I'm like, why? No, we got to come back in the house. And I didn't realize things were going on in the community. And he had, you know, got kind of hip to it. Mm -hmm. um, looking at his area, and even, it's crazy enough, my grandmother, um, my mom's mom, had always mentioned, oh, Portsmouth was a beautiful city. Um, my aunt used to live on Elm Avenue. My, um, my uncle worked at the shipyard. And they had a very nice house, crepe myrtles lining the streets, and beautiful sidewalks. And my grandma was from the country, so she didn't have sidewalks and kind of stuff. So she went to my, my her aunt's house. She thought that she was rich. And they had a beautiful home. We sit on the swing porch, drink lemonade. And she always said how beautiful Portsmouth was. And it's sad to see the decline. So all that kind of wrapped into where I was with my dad. Like, hmm, my grandma talked about this place. So all of those thoughts ran through my mind. So no, um, music was not my first thing. It was going to be economic development or even architecture. So in the back of your mind, at Hickory, you knew you were going to come to the city to try to get it, help find ways to get it back to where it needed to be. Eventually, yeah. Eventually you were going to say, okay, I'm going to put in effort to try to put Portsmouth to tr back to where it once was. So what 
Once again, we're gonna I'm gonna get into the portion thing. Okay, so when did the the, it, the path change for saying okay? I'm gonna go take this full ride because I mean back in those times, full rides weren't easy. No. Your your that was basically said your talent and your your resume had to been impeccable. Right. So and when he gave me the full ride, and when he gave me the full ride, it wasn't with the stipulation that I had to be a music major at the time. It was just I full was still ride. undeclared. It was still I was still undeclared as a major. But he knew you represented what he wanted the school to stand for. Right. So when you took the ride, of course you were going. Of course you took it. Mm -hmm. When you got there, when did it start to formulate that I'm going to go for music? And it was then before I got there. Okay. So when did it start saying okay? Um, second semester, spring of senior year. So, um, mind you, you already had your full ride. I had my full ride because he just came. Had to pick he what came you in to do. the. Um, he came around November. Of you three. You just had to pick what you wanted to do. Um, so by this time, I went to the Virginia Honors Choir, which is very prestigious. Um, that year, I think we had four people that made Virginia Honors Choir. Um, I had made all state chorus. I did all these things, and Mr. Robinson was allowing me to conduct in concerts, which he never did. Like I literally conduct the our spring concert. I conducted three pieces. Wow! And he was confident with me to let me conduct three pieces. Um, and with preparation for those pieces for the concert. Um, so they kind of clicked. Like, I could do this forever. And to see how I was received by my, by my, my um, fellow students, and they, like, they received me like they received Mr. Robertson. Respect, like, okay. And trust you. Yeah, and the biggest piece, I didn't do everything like he did. I had my own interpretation musically. Because everyone knows you can sing the same song over and over again, but it's the individual conductor's interpretation of the music that brings out a different element from each choir. Okay. And I had my own kind of spin on one of his songs, and he loved it. And he said, go for it. I love it. That's creativity. That's what you do as a, as a writer. You don't follow a blueprint and stick to the script. You follow the script, quote-unquote, for the notes. Mm -hmm. Once the choir learns the notes, then you are able to put your own spin on it, your own, um, how do I put it? Uh, not technique, but your own... Seasoning. Your own, your own seasoning. Yeah. Your style, your style. Little, your, what you do, right? Some things you hear, okay, Joe did that. That's that sound like something Joe would do, okay? You know, um, so that's when it clicked that I wanted to go into the music.